Hello, and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast, the place where curiosity is welcomed and no topic is too taboo to tread. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and today I'm sitting here with Renee Wisner, the filmmaker who is almost single-handedly responsible for keeping Mondo films alive. How are you doing today, man? Hi, man. Thanks for having me. I'm doing fine, and I'm happy that you take the time to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh... I kind of want to start from the beginning. What what uh, was it that got you attracted to cinema and inspired you to become a filmmaker? Um, yeah, I think I was um, always interested in, in cinema, like um, all kind of cinema. I started very young with mainstream cinema, and um, I had an older brother, and through him I got to know all this, uh, all those kind of horror movies and so on. So um, I got to know many, many movies very, very early. And yeah, it, it started with uh, mainstream cinema and then really soon became uh, this kind of obsession for, uh, you know, fantastic cinema in general, like science fiction, horror and so on. And my interest in, in underground and everything, this came much later, I would say. and. Um, I, my, my first contacts with filmmaking, uh, came very late. I think it was, I was in my, uh, in my twenties, like late twenties when I started to do things myself. Yeah. Uh, I can definitely relate to that. I really didn't start doing film, uh, seriously until I was in my late twenties as well. But I think kind of there's a, a gift to that as well because you've got the maturity and the responsibility to be able to actually execute something well made at that point in your life um so yeah, i think there's a yeah absolutely i mean think about it when i would have started making movies 20 years earlier i mean i would be uh much uh, much further in filmmaking of course but um i i think there would be about at least 10 years of more movies that would uh, completely suck <laughs> yeah before something uh, uh something interesting comes out of it yeah i think that's the gift that you and i both have with our circumstances is we don't have a resume uh like a filmography of a bunch of like student films that we made when we were 21 or <laughs> or something like that um, yeah exactly <laughs> but uh i want to ask uh what was there a particular film or a particular genre that that uh inspired you to to initially pick up that camera um like you said you started in your in your late 20s what was it that that made you to make that decision to pick up the camera um i think there was nothing um initial like an initial moment it was um i i think it all started out in the 2010s when i started to go on conventions and everything and when I, for the first time ever, uh, got to know people who actually make movies, when you uh, came around all those people uh, who make all those homemade splatter movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I finally met people who, who, who are doing this, you know? When I was younger, uh, filmmaking was, um, this may sound weird, something like um, spiritistic, or, or holy, something that you you just don't uh, 
take a camera and make a movie. You have, need to have a concept and everything. But um, at this time around, I kind of learned, okay, literally everyone can make a movie. And this is as good as it is bad. Yeah. And so <laughs> I um, became interested in it um, in the when I did this. And later I was um, an extra in an independent movie. And I came around the guys who made it uh, so well that we said, okay, let's do it somehow together. And somehow I stuck with it. it yeah. And with the films that you make, you have really uh, made like kind of a niche for yourself. Um, and a lot of your work is really kind of inspired and centered within the genre of Mondo cinema. And I was wondering, what is it that got you attracted to that genre? And uh, what inspired you to, to start working within that kind of that kind of uh, medium of work? Yeah, you know, I was always uh, fascinated uh, with the old Mondo movies, like Mondo, when Mondo was an art form, it's uh, it's going far beyond any documentary. And um, I would say about myself and what my movies are, it's I'm on one side, I'm a voyeur. And on the other side, I'm exhibitionist. And I think this is for me somewhat what is what Mondo is about? It's something like to to show things other people don't show, or to go to places other people don't go. And this was always uh, interesting to me. So yeah, yeah, that def definitely. And uh, that's one thing that I really admire about the work that you're doing is there are a lot of people that are doing things kind of within the realm of uh mondo but you're you have very much like an old school approach to it um i mean yeah you we... know you um sorry to interrupt you yeah. but um you are absolutely right you um mondo is basically dead unfortunately i would love uh, uh to have a mondo genre around but you know people actually go to places and explore them um this this is, is a rarity nowadays. And this is partially because um, a lot of it has become somehow mainstream. You know, dark tourism and all of this, there are many documentaries about it who go directly into Mondo, but um, much of them don't go the last step, I think. Yeah. You know, um, especially. You know, Mondo has a very bad reputation. You know, when you look back at the genre, the the Guna Guna films, and um, very much exploitation and racism, and I try not to put that in my movies. You know, um, people could, when people would look or watch movies like Mondo Siam. Um, people with a negative mind could see them in a negative way. But I try to not too much comment about that. And to, yeah, I try not to comment about like how people live on the other side of the world or how people live here. Because I think, um, and this goes back to, like to Jacopetti and Prosperi with Mondo Cane to, um, to show both sides. It's something 
they were really good and like to uh, show uh, weeds from all over the world and on the other side uh, they show how bizarre we people live here in the western world which is often much more bizarre than some people live um, in places where they have never seen a cow or something like this yeah that's one thing that i really admire about your work is that uh when you look at a lot of the genre of mondo there are those exploitative <clears throat> elements but i feel like there's a there's a beauty to the work that you do and you don't have a bias narrative behind what you're showing you're just like you talked about being an exhibitionist and just kind of showing um and and there's like a level of voyeurism almost with the with this with the work that you do and it allows the viewer to make up their own interpretations. You're not kind of telling them what to think. You're allowing them to look at your imagery and allow them to come to their own conclusions about things, I think. That... Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, you could... Uh, voyeurism is a word. Uh, I think it's really fitting, but you could also say just curiosity. Yeah. It's, it's I'm curious, and I'm, I, I, want, I want to see how those people live and what their relationship to death is on or how their everyday lives are. And I try to compare it uh, to me personally. And yeah, I wouldn't say my movies are exploitative. Some people think that, but I really don't. If I would make, if I would like to make exploitation movies, my movies would look different. I agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like you're, I feel like the negative, uh, aspects of the Mondo genre are absent in your films. I think that you are keeping the genre alive, but also uh, keeping them relevant to today's attitudes towards different cultures. And I think that there's a respect that exists within your work for sure. Um, but I think this is a good segue into uh, the very, so for those listening that are brand new to Renee Wisner, um, I and him have a relationship. I've released several of his films, and the very uh, first film that uh, we put out together was your your film, Pulp Films. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, that project and what the process was like making it. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the movies of from Pulp Films are like my first baby steps into making movies myself. And when I say making movies myself, um, uh, I mean to be a filmmaker, you know, to direct them, to produce them, to edit them, to shoot them. Um, this is my attitude towards my movies. I try to make as much as I can do, um, even if the result may not uh, optimal from time to time. But this is okay because um, I think my movies reflect um, my personality somehow. I don't think that it's possible to make a perfect movie. You know, even as a, a big fan of Stanley Kubrick, I think even he wasn't, uh, even uh, he couldn't make a perfect movie, even if um, 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, might come really close. So I don't even try it. I. Um, make my movies with all their mistakes but um this makes them very personal and yeah when i have would have to break them down um adi uomo was actually 
I think the first thing I shot on my own and this um, just happened without any preparation or anything. I came around this crazy location in Thailand, which is um, um, still a very unknown place. I mean, even if you uh, type in the name uh, in Google or anything, you don't find any information or pictures about it. And so I just had to take the cam and make a movie. But um, in the beginning, I didn't really had plans to make something out of it myself. You know, this was at a time I, I just shot stuff, but um, either I gave the stuff away to someone else so he could make something out of it uh, or yeah, it just uh, landed in my in, in my desk. So I, nothing was made about it. And then I think about a year later, um, we shot or I shot um, Blight of Humanity, Pestauch der Menschlichkeit with uh, Mary Andora. And I was his directorial assistant, which was a great experience. And from this experience, I, I got the idea uh, I got to know what, what filmmaking is about, what makes a filmmaker, what uh, dif differentiates a filmmaker from just a director. And this was kind of my time uh, which I said, okay, I want to do this myself. I go uh, back to my archive material and I make something out of it. And this was kind of the starting point. And Aliomo is, is kind of bland. This is, this is basically a work just made out of uh, curiosity and voyeurism. And I, I still think it has uh, somehow his place in my filmography, but um, everything really started out with the next movie, uh, Todessehnsucht. Uh, I shot it at the same location, but I tried to mix those uh, real elements, those monofilm elements with a narrative story. And this, kind of became interesting to me to to spice up a narrative story with images you just don't see in other movies. And this is something that is um, kind of a red line which goes through most of my work. Yeah. Um, with Audio Umo, you talked, uh, well, we have two different cuts of the film, one of which involved you sending a uh, basically I'm guessing the raw footage that you shot for that film and sending it to Magnus Blumdahl, who directed uh, the documentary revisiting melancholy Durangle. And uh, I was wondering what inspired you, how did you get in a relationship with Magnus and then uh, what inspired you to have him do his own kind of edit of the film? Um, Magnus is a great guy and I actually can't, can't remember exactly uh, when we met, but I think it had something to do with uh, revisiting Melancholida Engel. Um, I, I honestly can't remember for, for uh, why we got together. And um, so I was looking for an editor to make something out of Adiuomo, and uh, I liked the idea of um, even if you don't make your movie too experimental, on one hand, but to make an experiment of, out of it anyway. Uh, I hope this somehow makes sense. Yeah. So my idea was, um, 
because I was curious what what would this movie would look like if I would give it to an editor who actually has skill instead of me. Because at the time, I basically um, had no idea about editing. I learned editing with this movie. And um, yeah, I just wanted to see how this movie could have uh, looked uh, in the hands of someone else. And in the end, there were both movies and I thought, well, this is an interesting ex experiment when you put those two movies together. And I think they should be seen as an experiment in the first place. Yeah. Um, they should be seen uh, one after the other. And yeah, this this should be the experience of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, interesting to look at both of them kind of back to back just because they both have very different atmospheres and kind of a different emotional experience watching it, both of them, because they, it's like the same footage, but stylized in different ways, and you get kind of a different reaction from both of them. I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. Also included in our release of Pulp Films, we have your film, Osterium, and I was wondering what you could tell us about that. Um, yeah, Osterium was... Um, um, it was, uh, I made it in 2018, it, it, but it was supposed to be my movie I have made after Conversion. Conversion is a movie um, I shot over the summer in 2018. It hasn't been released yet, but I finished it two years later. So Osarium was just, yeah a little movie I wanted to make in this um, magnificent location in the Czech Republic, uh, the, the um, Kutnahora Bone Church, which is uh, a fascinating place. There are like the bones of, uh, I don't know him, how many thousand uh, people and they are uh, draped like, it's, it's like a, a, the, the throne of a king. It's an amazing place with an amazing aura. And I thought, you know, when I make a movie, I, I could film everything there and it probably would be uh, some kind of interesting, but um, I, I had to to spice this movie somehow up. I, I had to put something more into it to make more out of it. And so um, I thought about uh, this, this story of uh, a lonely girl, you know, some in some kind of way. My movie is um, Todessehnsucht, Osarium, and Du Mord du Catacomb play in the same universe. Um, they have the same character. This this lonely girl that can't find uh, a place in her world and, yeah, just um, um, is misunderstood and tries to find her place. And um, this place is weirdly enough among the dead somehow. And... I try to spin this idea around and around um, over time, and I might do make some kind of conclusion to the story um, sometime in the future. And yeah, uh, there was uh, the the for those who have seen Osarium, the middle part was shot uh, in Lübeck at the Salzspeicher. This is a famous place which was already shown in. Um, uh, Friedrich Wilhelm Mornau's Nosferatu in 1922. And this was the first shot I made for the movie. I did it 
even before I entered the Czech Republic. And this was, yeah, this was where it started. This somehow inspired me. I know this has nothing to do with uh, the rest of the movie, but um, in front of the Salzspeicher, uh, somehow Nosferatu inspired me to do this movie. Well, that's re- that's really cool. That that there's kind of like a tie. I think I've seen on um, on some of your social media. You have a picture from Nosferatu uh, and like an old shot, and then you being in front of that same building, and they look exactly the same, which is really cool to see. Like the history of that building still being there, or that landscape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, a great place, you know. Um, in, in Lübeck, the, you, you could make a great tour through the city. There are still some places um, that still look the same like in the movie, but um, the city really doesn't care about um, the history of this movie. There's another city in Germany called Wismar, and this uh, city really celebrates all the places where the movie has shot and there are, um, there are signs everywhere this was shot here, this was shot there, but um, yeah, I guess not everyone is that much into movies. <laughs> well, hopefully the people listening to, to this are. <laughs> I think we got yeah, some pretty so. good loyal fans. Um, <clears throat> and then the last film that you have uh, within within our release is, uh, I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Das Warden des Jungen Elysis. Uh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I'm curious about uh, you can t- explain a little bit better about what what the video in, or the film entails. But I was curious about kind of the backstory behind it, and as well as the the controversy that happened in Berlin with its uh, <laughs> premiere. Okay. Um, yeah, this was actually something that just was sent from the heavens to me. You know, um, at the time I was working in in Hamburg and there was a friend of mine who told me this crazy story about a friend of him who owns a flat um, and in which someone has killed himself. And at this point, he already had my curiosity. And then he started showing me off those weird pictures on the wall with um, the scantily clad uh, naked young people. And uh, for a great coincidence, this flat was, uh, I think, a 15-minute by car for myself. So it was basically in front of my door. And so I got in contact with the guy who, who owned the flat, and he allowed me to film there. And I think it was just two days later, and that um, I was in the flat, I was there for two hours and uh, took 40 minutes in time to talk to the guy. And I had 80 minutes to shoot that movie and all (laughs) the equipment I had was uh, some broken tripod. But um, yeah, and you know, everything that is shown in the movie, I really didn't know about. I only knew about all those weird pictures and that there has to be some kind of backstory. And there's something that I couldn't communicate in the movie at all. You know, um, you see a knife and you see blood and everything. Um, From what I heard um, 
from the guy who owned the flat is that um, the man who killed himself, before he killed himself, he castrated himself oh, wow. uh, with that knife. And this is why there was all those, those blood and everything, all the blood and everything. And, you know, when, when I started to explore the flat, um, the whole story came to a conclusion. You know, uh, uh, not even the police seemed to care about the story, what was still there in the drawers and everything. Because uh, when, when we opened uh, the cupboard and everything, all his uh, handmade comics uh, came into my hand. Uh, this was some crazy stuff. And yeah, this is this is something I'm really carrying around with me. This this story, even though because even though looking at it from start to finish and the editing process, uh, it was a really short project, most short of more than most of my projects. And yeah, one day later, all of his stuff uh, went. Uh, went through the garbage, unfortunately. It is uh, fortunately for me because um, this movie is kind of a time capsule, mm -hmm. which uh, which is something that I think is really interesting because only I had I could have made that movie and I'm uh, kind of conserving it in some way. But um, yeah, I really would like to have maybe one of those pictures or some uh, kind of souvenir from that place. This was just too weird. And when you uh, talk about the controversy, yeah, it was, um, I think it was the same year. I'm not really sure. My movie got invited to the um, porn film festival in Berlin. And it was shown there were, um, there were two, two screenings were planned. But there was only one, because during the movie, the audiences uh, started to gang up on the movie and uh, started screaming at the screen, just like in uh, 1984 by George Orwell, started uh, uh, screaming at the screen and they said, uh, this movie is promoting pedophilia. Um, in the end, my movie is uh, doing the exact opposite, but uh, the audience didn't get the point I was trying to make. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, in the end, they were loud enough to cancel the second screening. Oh wow! Unfortunately, they they unfortunately they weren't um, hard enough to burn the cinema down. I would really <laughs> ap have appreciated that, but um, yeah, I mean, a cancelled screening is is something. It's something that you can wear as an, a medal of honor. Yeah. Definitely. I think, especially nowadays, you know, uh, it's it's always funny. My my, I think my movies are really tame, most of them, and really uncontroversial. But uh, when there are problems somewhere, it's it's always in Berlin or bigger cities. When my movies are played or are shown in the province or somewhere, uh, nobody bets an eye. Nobody cares. But in Berlin, when you, when you think about the audiences. It's, it's always trouble. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I do notice that in cities and stuff, if, if something is premiering in a big city like Los Angeles or um, New York uh, or, or Berlin, uh, people sent, 
I think part of it is that it's people who are, if you're going into a rural area or a smaller area, uh, people who gravitate towards that are, I think, probably more aware of what they're going into. You know, if there's like a small horror convention yeah. in a town, then the people that are going know that it's a horror convention. Whereas if it's a big event in the middle of the city somewhere, I think that there's a lot of unknowing audience members that don't know what they're getting into. <laughs> and so they yeah. get a they get offended because they're like, I don't know what's going on. But I, I think as a, as a filmmaker within the realm of the uh, extreme and transgressive boundary pushing cinema, I think getting your film uh, shut down is kind of a, a badge of honor for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of weird when you think about it, you would think that audiences in the bigger cities that um, they, kind of have the attitude, I have seen everything, I have seen everything. But uh, most of the time, it's uh, it's the other way around. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, um, if, if I would... If I would like to offend people, uh, this would be super easy. I could just grab a cam and start shooting. It would be so easy if I would uh, if I would try to do it. I think honestly that modern day audiences are easier to to piss off than audiences from thirty or forty years ago. I think um, we have reached the time uh, in which we are going back somehow. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. I mean, you can look at you can look at uh, eras within cinema. And I think that it kind of fluctuates. Like if you think about the stuff that was coming out during the 1970s with uh, uh, the Mondo films that were coming out within the U.S., you have like the Ruffy era with with pornography. Oh, yes. um, and then in the 80s, I think they came. They got a little bit more sensitive, and and cinema changed. Uh, and then in the 90s, I think it got a little bit more uh, like tolerant of extreme things. But but now. Um, everything's very much underground and it's very easy for people to get offended by things. But I think that's also with, I think with censorship, uh, you see an influx of people making extreme boundary pushing art. I think it's kind of that punk, that punk rock attitude, like don't tell me what to do <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, underground movie making is punk rock. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, before we kind of like move move on from pulp films. You you talked about uh, your relationship with Marian Dora, and I'm I'm curious um, since we're talking about controversial cinema. I was curious how did you form a relationship with him, and what are your thoughts on his cinema and the controversy that exists within his cinema? Yeah, what I think about his cinema, I I think he is the gold standard in in underground cinema. There is. For me personally, there's there's no one who has this in intensity, but also such a skill for filmmaking than him. And yeah, when I I um yeah, as you can hear, I'm 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 a big fan of him, and I really like his movies, um because um you know I I maybe know him better than than. Uh, people who don't know him personally. So I would say it's 
to me it's it's super fascinating to hear his stories about how he made those movies and um i even had the pleasure to make um some movies with him and it's um super interesting to see about what terrible circumstances he is making his movies and that uh, basically the only thing he has to him is his skill as a filmmaker I mean, this guy doesn't have great cameras or anything. This guy doesn't have um, access to crazy locations or doesn't have access to lots of actors. Uh, so, so foremost, he has his skill, which makes him such a great filmmaker. And yeah, I think you wanted to know how I got to met him. It was, um, I can't remember the exact year. I think it was... 2015 or so um it was at, at a time i really liked and adored his movies already and yeah i just just wanted to get to know him just wanted to get somehow in contact with him and it, it took forever to get to this point but um, when we spoke um, we um, early discovered that there is something we could do together and then i I think it was 2017 when we shot um, Blight of Humanity together and when I was um, his assistant director. And, you know, this was this was one of the initial points at which I'm say at which I said, OK, I want to make movies, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's quite an experience getting to work alongside him uh, during a production of one of his films. I, th I think this is a question that I think a lot of people are probably hoping that I'm going to ask, which is what you actually got to be by him and watch the man behind the camera while he's making one of his films. Uh, what, what is he like as a director from a, for, like in terms of how he behaves on set and, and inter interacting with people and stuff like that? Um, he's incredibly intelligent and he has, super much experience you know he has experience and confidence and when you got to work with him you got to know very soon that he he has a goal he want to reach and he will reach it so he is he is willing to take risks he's willing to um uh, to do what has to be done and yeah but what 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 is he like personally um it, it's funny when when i look back at the time in in switzerland when we shot the movie he he was the most sane and calm person on the whole set <laughs> so kind of kind of the opposite of what would everyone think about him people think about the the craziest uh, uh stories are real but it's it's uh, the complete opposite this guy is, is super funny, super intelligent, uh, super fun to be around with. This guy is, is an incredible amount of movie knowledge. It's, um, and it's, it's incredible to be around him. You know, this guy has uh, such an amazing personal history in filmmaking. I mean, all those movies he did together with Uli Lommel and he worked together with Jess Franco and there, there's so much to unfold. It's amazing. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, um, you, you made a point uh, earlier that I kind of want to highlight, which was that he has a limitation on resources. You know, he doesn't have great cameras and things like that. And I think that um, that brings a charm to his films. You know, there's an aesthetic and look to Amari Andorra film, just like there's an aesthetic and look to your films. And I think that I think that um, when a filmmaker has a limitation on the resources that they have and they have to uh, be creative with what they have, I feel like it pushes imagination and pushes creativity and actually can make something better. Um, if you had yeah. all all the tools in your arsenal to make whatever you want, I think it, I don't think you I don't know if you'd be able to pull up that creativity in your mind that you're able to do with your films or uh, Dora's able to do with his films or what I'm able to do in my films, unless you had kind of uh, boundaries that you had to work around and be like, okay, what can I do with what I have? I think that there's like, almost a gift to having limitations and having kind of a, and working within lower budget independent cinema. And I think we, we can see that within the genre with people like you and Dora and, and, all the other iconic filmmakers that are out there. Yeah, I guess you are absolutely right. And I think um, you really should, maybe this is some advice for uh, starting filmmakers, someone who wants to make underground movies themselves. Um, just try to um, make your limitations your strength. You know, you this, this is something... Um, try to or try to build around the movies around your limitations yeah i that's that's the same advice i like to give people too is b make something out of what you have available right now don't yeah yeah it, it's the same thing what what you would say uh, to a writer write something you know about and this is uh, with with filmmaking it's kind of the same film something you know about and what you have access to to start yeah definitely definitely i think that's really good advice I, even beyond film just within art in general yeah absolutely it, you know. um but moving on to your next film uh mondo siam i was wondering uh this was kind of your uh at least to my knowledge your first like feature length uh, film and I was wondering what you could tell us about the process of making it, your inspiration, and what it was like. Yeah, um, yeah, it, w it was my um, feature film debut. That's right, and I, I have to be honest. This movie, uh, some kind, in uh, in some way, just happened. You know, I, I was um, there for a certain time in those countries in Thailand and Laos and uh, Cambodia. And I only had in mind to make a movie. I didn't have in mind what this movie would be about. And I don't even had in mind to make a feature film. So I just uh, filmed and filmed and filmed everything of what I said uh, could be interesting. And the idea to make a feature film out of it um, just came in the editing process. When I... I saw the material and uh, somehow it just started making sense to me like the seams of the movie um yeah it, it just started making sense in the editing process uh, it's it's maybe not a, a very a glorious story but uh, this is how it happened 
Well, I mean, but in the end, I have to say I had about I think seven hours of raw material, and about one hour of it um, made this movie together and made it work for me. I think it's a a beautiful film, man. I think it's really powerful, and I definitely think it has, um, it whether it was intentional or not, it definitely has kind of a, a, an acknowledgement or an homage to early early mondo cinema it feels it feels like a modern early mondo film to me when i was watching it so yeah yeah i really tried to when i shot it i tried to uh do something within the rules of mondo like um the sweet and savage principle and everything and but i kind of had the idea while making it uh i asked myself okay i can't make a mondo movie like Jacopetti and Fosbury, they had money, they had a crew, they had time, and I had nothing out of nothing of it. So what could I do to bring something new to the table? And so I had the thought of, okay, what, what would an underground monofilm look like? Is there an underground monofilm? Does something like this exist? And I had no idea at the time, and I still don't know. And I had this idea in mind while I shot the movie a little bit, even though I didn't knew uh, what um, what the goal is or what what kind of movie I want to make. I just had the idea. Okay, let's try out what a mon and what an underground mondo could look like when you don't have any resources and you just start filming. Yeah, man, I think that there's, a, even though within the film there's elements that are very uh, bleak and dark, um, there's a beauty overall to the film that I, that I feel that you were able to accomplish. And uh, I, it's probably within your body of work, it's probably my favorite film. I think you did a really good job. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And you know, this is this is something. Um, uh, you get the point there. This is something I like to do in all of my movies to show um, something the the ugly sides of something beautiful and the beautiful uh, sides of something ugly. This also became kind of my shtick. Yeah. In, in my filmography. <laughs> um, also on the. Uh... Mondo Siam DVD, we also have a short film, uh, La Burry, and I was wondering what you could tell us about that that short film. Yeah. Um, La Burry was um, shot at the same time as um, Mondo Siam. And in the beginning, I uh, thought about, okay, I, I shoot it and maybe put it together. Maybe it fits into the movie or it fits into anything. Because at the time, um, while I shot it, I... As I said, I didn't had any idea what to make out of it. And I, I think one of the uh, only reasons why I really made this this movie and finished it and released it is um, there was this this great story I heard um, about the the um, about the cinema and the monkeys that is told in the end of the movie. and it it was something I I um, I read a short time before I was there, and I thought um, 
the, the story is so great with with the monkeys and they are dragging the the dead monkeys of their batch uh, behind the cinema screen this, this was so great this, this sounded uh, so Werner Herzog like to me and of course it wouldn't have uh, fit into um, Mono Siam because Mono Siam is a non-verbal movie and this would be something I have to tell. And so you could say um, Lopburi is kind of a try what um, Mondo Sayam would have looked like if I would have used a narration for the whole movie. Um, yeah, making the movie itself was, was kind of fun um, because um, over the time I wasn't the only person who was there. I think... Um, um, Shocking Asia 3 was shot there and actually some kind of more Mondo movies and documentaries. So um, this really wasn't something new. But my approach at the time was kind of, okay, again, I don't have any resources. I don't have anything. What do I make out of it to make it something special? And so I thought, I just take everything as it comes. You know, when, when you look the movie, it looks like I was around for a long time with a camera and started shooting. Uh, the whole movie was shot in wonder in uh, under one hour. Oh, and wow. I just I just started going around uh, a certain route and I basically uh, went in a circle and everything that happened I just uh, took it as uh, as as I got it as it as it happened and as I experienced it. So it, you could say this is a really personal movie and uh, really also a time capsule. And I had the time capsule idea in mind then too, because uh, for me it was interesting uh, to think about how the movie would have looked like if I would started shooting it maybe 10 minutes later. Uh, it would be an entirely different movie. At least everything that, that I, I could... I could show, you know, you, you can't direct the monkeys, unfortunately. So um, it, it is something that just happened and uh, I, uh, yeah, I just worked with what I got, you could say. Yeah, I liked the kind of the comparison to like uh, almost like a Werner Herzog experience, uh, just kind of <laughs> the rawness of it. And I like the monkeys coming up to your camera and stuff, I think. Uh, there's just something you can't, you couldn't, you couldn't shoot that more than once, you know, that happened one time and you captured it in the moment. And, uh, yeah, it, it does feel like a time capsule. Like you, if you, if you went on that, that walk again, you would capture completely different things. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is an interesting idea. Maybe I should, uh, remake this movie someday to go the same route and, uh, to see what, uh, what happens this time. <laughs> maybe something much better or maybe something totally boring. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> mm. um, moving on, uh, we have the most recent film that uh, that I released of your work, which is Michael and Murder Billion Memoriam, which is a, a film centered around uh, a man named Michael who has a pretty profound murderabilia collection. And I was wondering uh, what you could tell tell us about that project, how you met Michael and how you um decided to make the film um yeah sure um i met michael um 
many years before at a convention and he had a table with his museum of madness and um i also i, I um always was interested in true crime and memorabilia i mean i, I really don't collect this stuff but um, i was always interested in it and so we we came around and we were, were sympathetic to each other and we kind of uh, held a loose contact over the years. And I don't remember when exactly um, I made this movie. I, th I think it was directly after Mono Sayam. I really hadn't had anything to work on. So, so I started to think, okay, what can I do next? What would be something I would like to do? What is something that I could do? And one of those was, um, yeah, a documentary about Michael. And um, after all those other projects I had in mind um, fell down, um, I just asked him if he, what, what he would think about it, if he would agree and if he would let me film it. And yeah, he really liked the idea and I think I, he, he invited me to his place and this was at a time when we, I think I just, um, we did maybe uh, demo scenes or uh, something like this or to, to um, we just shot something to think about what it would look like in a movie. And yeah, I think a couple of months later I visited him for a weekend and then we uh, shot the movie. And it was, it was really interesting to me too, because um, I try to make, when I make movies, I try to make them about themes I want to learn and not about themes I'm an expert in. And this was something that uh, could be done with uh, Michael because um, he's an expert of uh, true crime, uh, memorabilia and, uh, about all those things we talk about in the movie. And so it was a big learning process for me too. And this is what makes what made it so interesting to me. And he's a, he's a great guy. We, we, um, we, yeah, still talk from time to time. And I really hope that, um, he, he, um, reaches his goals that he really has this weird kind of museum. He really dreams about someday. So he can share his uh, collection with the world. What is what he really want to do? He has he has a very profound collection. It's it's amazing, honestly. And I think uh, I think it almost just seems like a natural logical step to kind of uh, go from Mondo Siam into doing Michael and Murderbilia Memoriam. I feel like um, it's it's just kind of a, an extension of kind of Mondo cinema, almost like exploring a, another sub subculture that exists within the world um and i feel like especially as someone who is active within the collection of murderabilia and true crime it was really cool to kind of have that community highlighted within the within the work that you you do i think it's a really interesting film and uh i, I really uh, am a fan of it for sure yeah cool you you know um i think you you got something right there because you know, exploring a subculture is, um, yeah, maybe it is the next step. You know, when you think about Mondo movies and exploration, um, nowadays, 
there there isn't there aren't really any new places to explore i mean there are no uh you know basically the whole world is mapped nowadays mm-hmm. there isn't I mean, sure, there, there's uh, something to explore and to find. There's something everywhere. But um, if you can go to different countries that um, haven't been in the the, the um, yeah, modern man's focus, so to say, you maybe have to go the next step and explore something, a uh, subculture, maybe something. And, and yeah, this, this, is, this is an interesting thought. Yeah, Which I, I, d- I haven't really thought out, but um, I will think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like even though the world's been mapped out, um, there's all kinds of little subcultures that kind of hide in the shadows that, that exist within our own communities that don't get uh, the kind of attention that you did with Michael Michael and Murderbilia Memoriam. And I think that... Uh, yeah, we're we're walking on roads that have been mapped already, but there's there's little avenues that haven't been fully explored yet, and I feel like you you did that with with this film. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, you also so I'm a, I'm in the process of releasing Symbolicus Volume Two, which is an anthology that Marcus Cook put out, and you have a short yeah. film uh, that's featured in in Volume Two, and I was wondering what you could tell us about that. Uh, yeah, the short film is called Du Mort du Catacomb. Um, it is also released as bonus material on um, the Putrid Productions release of Michael and Murder Rebellion Memorium. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, Marcus Cook asked me if, if I wanted to be part of this anth- anthology, and he said um, it, it would be cool to make something new, but it would be also okay to uh, recycle something. And um, at this time, I, I don't think I hadn't had time or anything, so I gave this movie to him. Um, I, for some reason, this, this movie comes around quite well, actually. Um, it, I think it was, around, was at around like five, six festivals in, in Germany and in other places, which is kind of weird because um, my movies normally don't get invited to festivals because they are so niche. They are hard to categorize, so people don't really can work with them. But yeah, I'm kind of happy that this movie comes kind of around, even though um, I wouldn't say it's it's one of my bigger or more, or more noteworthy movies. I think it's a nice short little movie that I shot um, actually on a um, tour in um, the Parisian catacombs. So I I tried uh, not to film all those hundreds or dozens of people around me the whole time. And so in the end, I could uh, make this movie about five minutes in length. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think that it's a really interesting look and, and and I think that it's kind of cool that it allows people who don't have the kind of opportunities that you have where you go and travel all over the world um, that we're able to still kind of see um, a lot of the things that you get you get to see. And uh, it I don't know, aesthetically, I think it's a I think it's a really interesting little short film. Um, and I think that it, it complements um, the, the anthology Symbolicus volume two as well. 
Yeah. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask you about was what are you, what is your take? Because you are not only very knowledgeable about Mondo cinema, but you're also active within the genre. What do you um, feel about people kind of lumping Mondo films, shockumentary films, and mixtapes all kind of together in in one category? And what is your oh, man. attitude on, on the modern obsession with mixtapes right now? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a theme, man. Um, yeah, like as you said, putting them all together and blend them in like they are one thing, like mixtapes and mondos and shockumentaries, this kind of hurts. This, this really hurts because um, like mondo filmmaking is like, it's, 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 or mondo films, it's like peak filmmaking to me in some ways, especially when you look at the, the history of mondo films and even before, I mean, um, even though Jacopetti and Prosperi made the genre with Mondo Cane, um, there were Mondo films before. Like, um, I think in the 20s, there was uh, Land Without Red by Bunuel, which um, already showed what a Mondo film is and what it could be. And there's uh, so much craft to make a Mondo film. And it's kind of sad when you put this together with... Um, especially a mixtape. I mean, a, a shockumentary, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of hard to, 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 to focus on what, what is a shockumentary. People say Mondos and shockumentaries are the same thing, uh, the same thing. Um, and maybe they are, you, you could say about Mondo Kane, it is a shockumentary, or maybe it was at the time today, it, it would really shock nobody anymore. And not even kids. Kids have much, 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 much darker stuff on their phones nowadays. And um, yeah, but um, comparing it to mixtape, this is this is this is harsh, man. Especially when I look at um, around how much money people are willing to pay for some mixtapes. I mean, most of them, um, even though there are mixtapes in which are a lot of craft and editing and style and, and putting them together. They're really mixtapes that are good and that I like and everything, but uh, especially the most famous ones, um, MD Pope and all those stuff, man, this is, this is, this is crazy to me. This is, this is like when, when you see, when you look, look at the heaven and you, you see a peak filmmaking, you see Mondo Kane and the movies by Jacopetti and Prosperi. And when you look down and you see dog shit, you see movies like MD Pope. It's, it's crazy, but people want this somehow. I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's curiosity. I mean, um, um, I'm, I'm interested to see what is in this, those movies too, but when you have watched a couple of them, uh, that are just clip compilations, clip after clip after clip, and there's no no skill to it. There's no art to it. Um, what do you get out of it? I don't know. I I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I feel the same way. I think it's very interesting that uh, the that these genres all get kind of lumped together, and I feel like the only thing that they share is that they center around reality you know so 
Well, yeah. some, some of them, not all of them. But uh, if you're watching a mixtape that has to do with uh, people dying, uh, and then you're talking about Mondo films uh, that also may contain footage of people dying, I think people just kind of lump it all together as one thing, even though I think that yeah. there's a craftsmanship to one, and the other one is just, like you said, clip compilations that don't have... Uh, it's very art. It's it's very debatable whether they have artistic merit or not. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's more more of a dare. You yeah. know, um, can I watch it? Um, w- will I suffer from it? W- will I be able to uh, watch the whole thing without fainting or anything? I think this is more what it's about, not about uh, filmmaking or craft at all. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think the reason why it gets lumped together is if you look at like the work of someone like Kiyotaka Surasaki, um, I think that he would fall more into the Mondo and Shockumentary category with the work that he does, but it does center around death. And I think that with that, people just kind of blindly will lump it together with, unfortunately, things like M.D. Pope. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's really sad. When you look at uh, Kiyotaka's movies, they are so damn good. Yeah. They are so well made. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I think about the the people who are keeping Mondo and Shockumentary stuff alive, it's you, it's you and Kiyotaka right now. I don't think there's really anybody else doing it. So. Yeah, yeah, and actually, that, that's really sad when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I wanted you have a whole your filmography is immense, and you have a a lot of films that haven't at least been released, at least that I know of within North America. And I was wondering if we could spend some time talking about uh, some of your other work and then talk about whatever you're working on currently. Yeah, great, let's do that. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, there's only a couple, or you could say a small body of my work uh, released in North America, but um, there is much more released in North America than there is um, anywhere else in the world. So I'm, I'm really happy about it because um, I think about it here in Germany, people don't really care about my movies, which is okay. I don't have a problem with that. But um, when, when I see that there is an interest from the uh, other side of the world, it, it makes me really happy and it makes me, uh, yeah, it, it gives me hope to continue and to go on with movies. I mean, even if nobody would like to watch my movies, I would still probably continue to make them. But um, when there's uh, some kind of um, interest anywhere in the world, this is really cool. This is um, something that keeps me going. But um, okay, coming back to your uh, question, I'm talking about um, movies that haven't been released yet. Yeah, um, I, I think I have a couple of them, actually. Um, it was... Um, I, I made a movie I probably cannot release due to um, copyright issues. Um, I shot it, I think, um, last year in one day. And this one is, is kind of crazy. Um, it is a mixture of... Um, um, yeah, an underground, well, it is an underground movie, but um, it is also a tribute to a German actor, uh, which name is Kurt Raab, 
which I really admire. And in this movie, which is um, uh, it's, it's a narrative uh, short film, it's I think it's 24 minutes in length. Um, we have this actor, Jörg Wischnowski. Um, he already was in Blight of Humanity, Pest hoch der Menschlichkeit by Marian Dora, and he is in many of my movies. And in this movie, he plays someone who is obsessed with um, the dead actor. And one day he comes to the conclusion um, that to be uh, near to him, he has to dig him up. And we actually shot some stuff at the actual grave of this actor. And we shot some nastier scenes with uh, real human bones later. Uh, which which is a shame. I think it, it might be my best movie. But, um, you know, in the soundtrack, I partially used um, sound bits and parts of um, old Fassbinder movies. So I probably couldn't release it here in Germany, at least. Um, yeah, there's this. And I, I was really sad when I had to tell Jörg, um, okay, we, can re we can't release this movie. And instead of it, I made another movie, which I... Uh, gave him as a gift, so to say. Okay, we can't release this movie, but um, we make this movie instead. And so we made um, Warum läuft Herr W. Amok? Basically, it says, why does um, Mr. W. run Amok? And it's uh, about a one-hour-long interview movie with this actor, Jörg Wischnowski, and we basically break down his career into the last couple of movies he made and we speak about blight of humanity and um then there is um, frühlingsgefühle which is a underground movie by a swiss movie maker called yuval malon and we speak about the movies we did we did together that aren't released like obsession conversion and yeah, and uh, in the end, it goes a little bit crazy. But I think this is would be something uh, that would be interesting to people who want to have a look behind the curtain, how it was for him to work with Marian Dora, or how it is to work with me, or how these movies are made, actually. Yeah, this is about this movie. Wait, I, I have to... to um, I have to look at my notes, because <laughs> I, I'm forgetting what I, what I made over the last year. Uh, yeah, then there was uh, another short film. It's called Memento Mori. Um, this was kind of a step back somehow because um, I just shot it at um, some kind of weird, bizarre oddity museum in Denmark. And they had a crazy collection of um, human oddities. Um, yeah, it's really short and there's not much more to say about it. And what? Mm. Yeah, I think those are the most important ones. Oh, no, I, I have actually one other movie. It's called Überfall. It is um, also very short. It's only five minutes in length. And it's about, um, it's kind of my first take on a sicko movie or to make something that is kind of sickening and which probably is offensive to some people um it's about a woman that gets gets raped and who has a um 
with an unwanted abortion, so to say. And this one is uh, pretty bloody, and I mixed it with um, some weird old um, uh, radio show bits. Yeah, I, uh, and there's another one. Uh, sorry that I jump around like this, but um, I, I, sometimes it's really hard for me to remember what I actually made. <laughs> um, yeah, there's conversion, which is which is one of my more interesting works. I have to say, this was planned um, directly after the film Todessehnsucht in 2018, and I shot it uh, already back then with Jörg Wisniewski, and he plays a homeless person. And I actually shot this movie um, in the, the homeless scene in uh, Hamburg. And so it's, I kind of, also, uh, it has um, an narrative story, but I kind of shot it like a documentary. And while I made it, I wasn't really sure how this movie should end. What should I make out of it? And, um, so I shot everything in 2018, and I think two years later I noticed, well, I have the ending there, but uh, I didn't thought about it at the time. And yeah, so I finished it in 2020. Yeah, and I would say this is uh, one of my better works. There's um, much work in it. I just shot it in half an hour, so we really had some days uh, to shoot the movie, and we we um, we uh, went through the streets of Hamburg, and we just uh, looked out what we can shoot. Uh, except of there was um, kind of um, I had an I had an idea in mind what I wanted to do, but um, I um, was very open minded when I shot it. So this story could have gone elsewhere, uh, so to say. Yeah, and I think this is, yeah, this is this this are the more important ones that I made that uh, haven't been released yet. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a film that you sent me um, <clears throat> that involves I can't remember the name of it, but it involved a, a woman doing art with a a dead bird, and I was wondering oh. uh, what you could tell us about that, and then also uh, kind of what what is your perspective on. Um, the use of animals in film because that's i know a, a divisive topic and uh i'm i'm curious about it especially with someone who with your relationship with dora as well and what he does with with animals in his film yeah that's a good question um yeah i would say like animal cruelty is really divisive and it it it, it uh it, it should be shamed it's it's nothing it's uh, nothing beautiful or or courageous about it um, but maybe I start with the movie you were talking about, um, One Girl, One Cat, One Hammer is the name of the movie. And before I get all those angry emails about the movie, um, it really doesn't have animal cruelty in it. Um, even though there is a dead bird in the movie, but um, I can assure you the bird was already dead. Um, this movie was kind of my take on um, viral modern shock videos. I mean, you can already see it in the title, One Girl, One Cat, One Hammer. It's like um, one lunatic, one ice pig, or three guys, one hammer. Mm -hmm. It's it's like the weird way those movies are called nowadays, which 
uh, it's, it's interesting to see from an outsider. So maybe I demyth the movie myself right now, but um, yeah, there is there doesn't get there's no bird that gets killed or no cat that gets killed, but there is a cat in the movie. It's by coincidence, but it somehow makes the movie more interesting. And yeah, it, it kind of is my take on viral shock videos. There isn't a, too much I want to want to talk about this movie. I think this is a movie that, that should be experienced in some way. So I won't say too much about it. And yeah, Animal Cruelty, yeah, what should I say about it? I'm not a fan, really not a fan of it. I'm a very animal loving person. I always was. And yeah. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's um when you when you look at it, it's it's you know I'm I'm somehow behind the shares with um animal cruelty. Um it does make a movie more powerful, but for what price? I, I really I really can't I, I'm I'm not the one to damn this, but I'm not the one to glorify this either. It's I just I don't know. It's 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 there, and um, I think every filmmaker should decide for themselves if they really want to do that. Not only because of it's it's something I would never do, but also because of karma. Mm-hmm. yeah i agree i mean it, it's not it's never it would never be something that i would ever consider with my work but it is something that exists within extreme cinema and uh so it's interesting to hear the different perspectives that exist with it with that happening in film yeah you know it's 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 really interesting because um dora himself um he's a vegetarian and um he he um, sometimes speaks really clearly about how this is uh, something that shouldn't be done. So it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a solution to it. Or, or, I mean, the solution would probably not to do it. But I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you sent me a... Uh, a trailer that you're currently working on for for an upcoming project and i was wondering if uh, you could tell us about that work yeah um yeah this is a movie i started shooting last year in in december i shot it for four days um for continuing days and so i would say this already makes this my uh biggest movie biggest movie yet and yeah, about the story, there's not too much to say or not too much I want to say. But um, it stars Jörg Wisnowski, again, from Blight of Humanity and many of my other movies. And he plays a person that is kind of obsessed with death. Um, I think this is this is all I should say about the movie. Um, I can uh, tell something that is going on behind the curtain or something uh, that happened during the shooting or uh, yeah what what happened overall um i shot by now i have uh, i think it's it's 35 minutes of edited movie i have and i think i am 
uh, it will be a feature film. I don't think that it will be a feature film, or at least I'm working towards those point. Um, and but right now at the moment, I don't really know uh, how to continue from now on. I might consider a crowdfunding campaign soon to get some fundings for the movie. And yeah, this one will be, this one will offend some people. It's say it like this. It's um, when we shot it, there were times uh, I shot most of it with Jörg together and we, we spent four days together. There were parts of uh, shooting the movie in which we were devastated. I mean, can we do it? Can we shoot it? And um, if, is this going too far? Maybe more in a pink flamingo way, but then in a, a Marian Dora way somehow. So it's it somehow is my pink flamingos. <laughs> well, and um, yeah, this one will be really crazy. And I, I there's something I really want to mention. Um, there is um, a really, really great guy who agreed to um, to um, play a little role in the movie. And um, this this guy's story is, is much crazier than, than anything that happens in the movie, but in a weird way. And I really want to tell you about it shortly. You know, this, this guy's name is um, Dietrich Kuhlbrot. Mm. And he's, he's uh, 89 years old. And this guy has such a crazy history. You know, um, in the 50s, he, and later he was um, a state prosecutor. And he was one of those guys who um, uh, got all those Nazis who committed war crimes in Germany's um, in, in front of the court, because at this time, nobody really cared about that. And so he started out doing this and later he started in theater and he started in movies and he also was befriended to Lars von Trier and was in one of his movies. And he was in uh, the German Chainsaw Massacre. And since he retired, he makes movies with all those uh, unknown little filmmakers like me. And this was a really great experience to have him in front of the camera for a day. And yeah, what's what's to say about the movie? Um, I think I will come up with some news about it very soon. I, I think I'll do a crowdfunding campaign. And um, yeah, this, this is when when there there are more news, what it's about and how it will continue. Yeah, I think that's that's all I could say at the moment. Well, that's really exciting that you got to have him be a part of your project. I think that that's I'm interested to, especially with you saying that it's got elements of pink flamingos. I'm very interested to see what what's coming up. Yeah, you know, um, when we just mentioned it before, this movie is like a dare. And uh, mixtapes are some kind of a dare to the audience when they say, okay, can I, can I uh, watch this to the end? And somehow my movies are kind of like a dare too when I make them. Okay, can we really do this? Can we do this and film it, this at the same time? And this is uh, something, <laughs> this, this kind of became a shtick and I really don't want to do this. I really want maybe in the next movies I do to um, do something more narrative, something more story driven, and not something that is 
um, driven by uh, obscene stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good to diversify and uh, push yourself in, in new directions as a filmmaker. Uh, not do yeah, exactly. I, I really don't want to do the same stuff over and over again. I mean, um, this this will happen for sure, but um, I really want to go new ways as a filmmaker. I mean, I think I already feel like you you do that. I mean, if you look at your body of work with the stuff that we put out, like Pulp Films, Mondo, Siam, and Michael, Murderbillion, Memoriam, they all kind of exist underneath the Mondo umbrella, but I feel like you are not you're you're diversifying in terms of the subject matter that you cover and things like that and i'm excited to see uh what you have coming out in the future for sure oh thanks man um the last question that i want to ask is i'm sure that there's a lot of people listening to this that because there's so many different subgenres that exist under the umbrella of extreme cinema and um, you are very knowledgeable, I would even say as an expert when it comes to Mondo Cinema. And I was wondering, um, for people listening who are new to Mondo Cinema, who might be just hearing about this genre for the first time right now, what films would you recommend that they check out that you think are staples or gold standards within Mondo Cinema? Oh, okay, absolutely. Um, I would say... My, my my favorite Mondo movies and the ones of uh, which I would say you should see that and the ones I would recommend were um, mostly the ones by uh, Giacopetti and Prosperi, um, starting with Mondo Cane. This one is, when it comes to the technique, the techniques of uh, filmmaking and Mondo filmmaking, this one set the standard. And this one would be also a really good movie to start because when you look at it to modern standards, it's super tame. Um, you, you probably could release this um, at an age of 12 nowadays, or maybe for even younger people, but it has all of the craft behind it. And yeah, so I would recommend all of the movies, um, those two filmmakers made together and, um, at the same time, I would say there is a really, really good later example. This is a movie I would say, damn, this is something I would like to make. It's um, uh, Du Mort. I think it was made somewhere in the 80s by three um, Belgium filmmakers. One of them also made um, the pig fucking movie, Was It in Osses? Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is also a great movie. It is very, it's the way it's shot and it basically has the same themes as my movies. It is centered around, centered around death and dying and about um, how different cultures um, celebrate it or how different cultures um, look at death or what death means to them. So this is a... Um, this is a very good and intelligent and um, well-made and crafted movie. Yeah, those those were movies I would um, recommend. And yeah, most uh, mostly most Italian movies from that era, 60s and 70s, one of the more famous ones. I mean, at this time, there were such a crazy amount of movies um, coming uh, out after Mondo Cane, but um, 
there were a couple of ones that are uh, really good. But also, I have to be honest, there were also there was also a lot of garbage, especially when the whip-offs in North America started. Most of them are not really good. And also, I would say um, one, uh, one I really shouldn't forget, um, the movies of Antonio Climati. Antonio Climati was um, the cameraman of um, Jacopetti and Prosperi. And he started making Mondo movies on his own, like Sweet and Savage. And they are also peak filmmaking in this genre. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with me today uh, and, and spend time talking about your films and just kind of your experience and also sharing your knowledge on this genre that you are almost single-handedly keeping alive. So... Yeah, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to talk to to talk to me. I I really appreciated that, and I I hope someone is getting out of it. <laughs> um, is getting something out of it. That's what I want to say. <laughs> I I think this was a great conversation. I'm I'm sure people are enjoying listening to it as well. Um, for those who are interested in finding you on social media, where can they find you? Um. Yeah, I'm I'm on on all of the channels that like Instagram and Facebook and so on. I think my um, handle is uh, Wiesner Films. I'm I'm currently not sure about it. I think it's Wiesner Films. Yeah. Can, can you spell I'm that on, for people? Uh, yeah, it's uh, W I E S N E R and Films written together. All right, perfect, man. Well, thanks, and uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Wish you that to you too. Thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club. If you're interested in checking out some of my other work, please visit my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, where I analyze and review extreme underground cinema. Also, follow me on my socials, Putrid Prod for Twitter, Putrid Productions for TikTok, and Putrid underscore Productions for Instagram. Until next time. This is the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club.